0: This is the International Education Marketing Podcast, a roundup of news stories and how they might impact marketing and recruiting for the international education sector. Welcome to episode 80 of the International Education Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Chatham, and our contributors today are Brandon,
1: Christy, and Fazila.
0: Thank you all for being here. I'm looking forward to hearing about the news that you've uh, discovered and want to talk about in this forum.
2: So Brandon, why don't you start us off? Thank you for having me, Daniel. Um, the article that I have today, it comes from Inside Higher Ed is Faculty So White. A new report undersc- underscores how faculty diversity and student successes go hand in hand and ask the following question. Why are university faculty so white? Um, essentially, Ed Trust, which is a nonprofit organization that works with the Department of Education, and they tend to conduct studies, they interviewed 543 Latino and Black um, professors at public four-year institutions across the country, and they found that um, these public institutions are failing in creating diverse faculty, um, and in not only in their hiring, but in their retention rates. Um, they, the study also finds that... Faculty diversity is positively associated with student success, especially when black and Latino students are in, in the mix because students of color tend to are more likely to graduate and succeed academically when they see themselves reflected in their faculty. And this not only, you know, has a positive um, effect on students of color or, or their or students from underrepresented groups. But just in general, all students can benefit from engaging with diverse faculty because of the distinct perspectives um, and problem-solving skills and lived experiences that diverse professors bring to their um to their classes. Thanks, Brandon. Uh let's see. Let's go to
0: Christy next. What news caught your right eye this week?
3: All right. Um, yeah, thanks for having me as well. And great to be here with everyone. Um, I found an interesting article um, that struck me as a student that's studying uh, virtually through the Ms. program uh, and asynchronously. asynchronously. Uh, It's an article that I found in UB University Business, which is a a blog that I subscribe to. Uh, And this article is titled Three Ways That College Students Are Feeling About Online Learning in 2022. Uh, And pretty interesting. um, they had a few key takeaways in this article that really struck me. Uh, first, that students are pretty impressed overall with the what they call the substantial improvements in online learning and the experience and the confidence that they're feeling as learners in online learning. Um, and the, their confidence as well in using the new uh, ed tech tools that have uh, made online learning uh, much more accessible and, um, and robust. Um, but was what was interesting is there is an age disparity uh, in uh, student response to online learning. Uh, so younger students um, report that they uh, feel they learn less effectively online um, and so uh, campus leaders need to contend with perceptions of lower quality. Uh, And students over the age of 25 feel that they learn just as effectively online as they do in person. So interesting um, data point for me that I've been thinking a lot about as someone who's in my mid 40s and studying online for the very first time. Um, The third takeaway is that students um, do feel pretty positive about how colleges and universities will launch online programs and hybrid programs in the future. Um, But overall, they're kind of less enthusiastic about taking online courses themselves. Um, So a lot of interesting, almost um, antithetical um, ideas in this article that just really struck me and um, something I wanted to talk more about with you all.
0: Super. Thanks, Christy. I'm already thinking, why is one of these situations moving fast, like online, the the improvement in quality and online education, and we're not moving fast about addressing diversity or the lack of diversity among faculty. So maybe we'll get a chance to address that on the other side. Fazila, let's hear about your article.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me here today. Um, so a couple of articles that I checked and, um, that caught my interest in, um, the Pi News and the ICEF monitor is, uh, China closes some university campuses in response to COVID policy protests. And then the other one is China's COVID rules, um, uh, COVID rules and unemployment driving and uh, driving, um, students to study abroad. So in this article, they um, mainly talked about students in China, China face um, significant freedom of movement restriction due to China's um, uh, COVID, uh, the zero COVID policy, and then also uh, them being forced the entire city um, for the lockdown more than 100 days, and also university students because uh, they are among the crowd of protesting so that also uh caused the government um so because of this the government um uh closed uh, 10 universities in uh beijing and um and then also i mean students um it talked about also students not tolerating uh, like not having the toleration of losing all their freedom and then um at the two main universities in beijing that is one thing Tsinghua, and Peking, um, which is in the ranking of 16 and 17. And um, uh, these two university students, and they were, uh, they took part in the main um, uh, protest. Students enrolled at and at least 10 universities have been sent home because of um, the this restriction and then um in Peking University students pro- protesters painted and um uh, some red edges and the um, uh, campuses and uh, and also in University of Hong Kong student pro- uh, protesters um, they also uh, pro- uh, took a main part in the protest and then in the second uh, article uh, the um, uh, China's COVID rules and unemployment driving post-grads uh, study abroad It uh, shows that there was a massive spike in search of, uh, related to study abroad on Chinese search engine during the uh, peak of the protest. And people in China in the middle classes uh, were also looking to get their children outside of the China. And also, according to Pi, reported um, that early this year and during the China's ongoing lockdown, uh, the interest of studying abroad were racing And then uh, which also supports uh, the education of the education institutions and to enter like the education institution in the U.S. to enter the uh, market in China. And it shows that 440 percent rise in the search engine about the study abroad.
0: Thanks, Fazila. Great um, articles and so timely with what's happening internationally right now. So let me open up the floor here for conversation and see what sort of connections you might have found in these articles or themes
2: that you think may be a little less obvious or more subtle. Well, after hearing Fazila's um, articles on the zero COVID policy in China, which has been in the news frequently, I think You've seen the Chinese po- uh, people kind of like rising up in a bit and kind of a fear of a, of, a, of a possible Tiananmen Square response right from the Chinese government is what I've been hearing and reading. Um, I wonder how U.S. You know, U.S. institutions are marketing um, abroad in China because China has become, a, uh, I remember in principles and practices, um, China is a big destination for a lot of students in the Western Hemisphere who study business, um, for example, Shanghai um is a big destination. I off the top of my head, I think of my own undergrad skin more in Shanghai. NYU has a big campus in Shanghai that's business oriented. So I wonder how universities and colleges if they're even recommending um American students go to China given the zero COVID lockdown and policy. So in my eyes, I wonder how study abroad um offices are dealing with that. If they're if they're even marketing at all or if, or if they're finding alternatives um to china as a destination just first thing i was i thought about when i was hearing in So it
0: sounds like perhaps it would precipitate a shift in the marketing
2: emphasis
0: mm-hmm. maybe as a form of risk management
2: from the institutions mm-hmm. exactly and i wonder if china if there's a financial blowback because of this you know um, not receiving you know so many western students due to their covid policy um i wonder what the financial implications are there But um, yeah, I wonder what the shift in marketing is for study abroad offices, especially like I said, NYU has a massive Shanghai program is pretty important, I think. So I wonder um, how they're tackling that issue.
3: Interesting too. On the flip side of that, um, the I'm intrigued by Fazila's article that suggests there's an uptick in um, students in China seeking um, study abroad opportunities because what we've certainly seen at the K twelve level uh, since uh, the COVID pandemic and perhaps even slightly before uh, the COVID pandemic hit. Uh, is a decrease in interest coming from um, students in China that are looking to study abroad in the United States, um, and you know, from what I've read, there's been a lot of reasons for that. Part of that, of course, is is being able to move freely and easily between um, home in China and school, given some of the restrictive policies upon return back to China and the sort of long extended quarantines that students have to face. Um, some of that is political, um, due to the changing landscape in terms of visas and Um, and sort of access to travel to the United States. And then I think some of it too is perceptual. Um, Some of the unfortunate um, school violence that we've seen here in the United States has dissuaded um, some families from exploring K-12 school options. Um, So overall, uh, before COVID-19, as an example at the school where I work, we were seeing um, hundreds of applications every year for roughly four to six spots. Uh, for students from China. And that number has decreased significantly over the last several years. So it's been an interesting shift.
1: Yes. And 2022, it seemed that 45% uh, decrease in um, in overall um, Chinese students' enrollment in the U.S. Um, um, And also one of the articles, they, um, I mean, uh, the search I'm not sure about the marketing strategy that they, they uh, the different institutions in the US, they have been using, but this is a great opportunity for the uh, US institutions to somehow find, uh, uh, use their strategies and um, um, get into that market in uh, China. Because right now, with the, a lot of students in China, they even for the work opportunities because of the economy uh, downturn as well. They are looking for opportunities outside of um, uh, China. So one of the good ways to get, um, uh, to stood out in the market outside of um, China is uh, going to graduate school. So graduate um, uh, uh, school is also like, that is how um, this can help the institutions in the US.
0: One of the things that I think is, is percolating for me as I hear your responses and, 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 reflecting on the articles is an idea of, of student demand. If we think about the story from China first, students there are making immediate demands for immediate change. And then if we move to the story Christy shared about improvements in online education, I don't know that I would assert students are demanding change but I would imagine that the pre-pandemic to pandemic transition led to a lot of disappointment. The the online, the transition to online education at the beginning of the pandemic, I should say. Students probably were pretty vocal about the disappointments that they had. And that helped raise the quality moving into the latter part of the pandemic. Students demanded better quality online education. And educators also said we need to do better than we did at the beginning of the pandemic. And so now, jumping over to Brandon's article about a lack of faculty diversity, I'm wondering what role student demand plays or can play in addressing that problem. I wonder what you think about the role students play in addressing the diversity
2: issue. I think that with this topic, because... The, the officials at universities, I feel at American at American higher education institutes, we've we've developed quite an interesting discourse, and I think we're aware now of the lack of diversity, and you know we we're aware of the of the positive uh, effects of having diversity and diverse faculty members. The issue is, you know, like the article has this great phrase, which is. They can talk the talk but they're not walking the walk uh, uh you know campus leaders know already every <laughs> i think they're well versed um uh, maybe they're not but um i think that they're aware of the what it means to have diverse faces in your faculty the issue is that they're not including this in their actions in their action plans in their missions and values they're not including, you know, I uh, in their hiring process um or prioritizing diverse um prioritizing um the hiring of professors of color. I think that students are powerful. I think students um have the, the capacity to I don't wanna say rise up, but at least to bring to attention um to campus author like campus leaders. That it would be nice to have students of uh, professors who look like us, you know, Um, we could do this in whether I'm not sure of recommendation forms or, you know, or just organizing a night or evening, but it's not, but all the students have to say something again, like it just can't be, we're going to hire diverse professors for underrepresented students. It, It has to be all the students, you know, it has to be a majority of the students who are willing to engage in this conversation. And that's not happening, I think, but. I feel like in the United States, university students, they they do feel empowered. You know, when a lot of change has occurred over the last couple of decades at American campuses, right, at distinct points in American history. So I think that it can happen if students were to raise the issue. It makes me wonder a matter of interest, perhaps, you know, um, if only a minority of students are bringing this up then campus leaders are not going to, I guess, uh, pay credence to it. They're not going to invest, you know, much of their attention. I just wonder, it makes me think about in the marketing material for universities, they always, you know, advertise, oh, we're this diverse, right? We have so many diverse students. You see black and brown faces on pamphlets. I remember when I was applying to undergrad, I was bombarded with all of this. They had students of color contact me, but... It makes me wonder now: Can universities advertise how diverse their faculty are? Right? You always see um, students, you see class sizes, but I never recall anything about faculty diversity. And it never occurred to me until I went. I went to a small liberal arts school, I went to Skidmore College in upstate New York, also a very white faculty. And in my conversation with professors, it was they didn't, you know, few professors of color didn't feel they didn't feel supported. They didn't feel that the university, the college kind of gave them, you know, the the resources to survive there. It's not about a lack of professionals, a lack of professors of color. There are tons in the country. (laughs) It's a matter about universities improving their practice. And I think that if universities were to include, let's say, if they... Do invest in hiring and improving their retention rates and creating a culture on campus more racially friendly culture i guess on campus that in turn could increase their number of students who want to come to the institution right i think if i were to see now a pamphlet oberlin college for example oh no it just came to my head oberlin is telling me i see all these great professors of color that's powerful for me you know it's like that professor has probably lived something that i've lived you know or just I want to hear where that professor is coming from so i think if schools were to prioritize hiring professors of color and then in a way incorporating that like they incorporate students of color on their marketing material for recruitment it could be a game changer
0: It's a great suggestion in terms of how to adapt the marketing strategy for that situation christy what are your thoughts you know I, we've, we've kind of heard the idea of student demand framed in these two contexts i'm wondering um, how you feel about that as an undercurrent and, and where you wanted to, to take your comments.
3: Yeah, I, I I could take it so many places based on Brandon's remarks. Um, but I think what struck me is uh, a couple points of Brandon's. One, that perhaps students are not calling for this change, because I do agree with him that students can be a powerful um, impetus for change uh, if they're really um, actively seeking it. Um, But I'm also intrigued by this idea that um, schools are not necessarily uh, championing the diversity of their faculty. And that simply may be because they don't have a robust diversity of their faculty. And what we've certainly heard from some faculty who are uh, underrepresented on uh, college uh, and university campuses, as well as at K through 12 schools, is that sometimes they're over asked uh, to represent uh, diversity within marketing materials, and they start to feel um, tokenized um, so it's this double-edged sword of making sure that faculty can see other faculty that um, make them feel like they can be part of a more diverse community and yet uh, making sure that we're not putting someone in a position where they feel used um, as a representative of a, of a, a certain group um, so it's it's not an easy one to strike um, but certainly if, you're, if your intentions are good hopefully that wins the day I also feel that um, at the K through 12 level, which is where I work, faculty diversity is an issue. And perhaps part of the reason that students are not calling for this enough is because student diversity is still an issue, at least at the K-12 level. While we've seen vastly increased diversity at the higher ed level, um, access to K-12 schools, especially independent schools like the school where I work and, and the group of schools that I work in, it, it still has a ways to go, um, even though I think we've, we've certainly focused um, as schools on access and opportunity for kids. Um, so again, And that may be part of why the demand just is not there as it should be. That said, I have seen in the more recent years um, hiring fairs for um, increasing um, diversity of faculty uh, at the K through 12 level that are very focused on hiring diverse candidates. What's interesting is because then it becomes a very competitive landscape for top candidates um, to attract those candidates to your school. And it's it's not an easy recruitment process, uh, especially depending upon the region where you're embedded. Uh, If you're in a region that uh, perhaps is not very diverse in terms of the community where your school is housed. How do you attract more candidates to your area in ways that um, uh, ensure that they're they're going to feel um, that's the right place for them? It's the right fit.
0: I think what you're helping us see, Christy, is the um, multiple layers that these situations touch. Each of the challenges that the three of you have shared, each of the articles there there is no one quick fix. These are big problems, big challenges, and yet they're still in in spite of their differences, there's still something that kind of connects them. Let me ask uh for last call for closing comments or anything that you think we should hear that we haven't heard already
3: I guess i was I was intrigued by just your comment, Daniel um in terms of my article that idea that the pandemic transition to online learning likely led to some pretty strong disappointment uh, in the experience of students who had to rapidly transition to online learning when that was not what they were planning for uh, and not what faculty were planning for. Um, So I think everyone sort of accepts that uh, it was not an ideal situation for anyone. Um, And pretty interesting as you as you reflect on the article of those who are under age 25 feeling a little uh, more reticent about uh, online learning going forward. Uh, it does seem like from a marketing perspective, it's something that schools are going to have to overcome if uh, online learning is a, is a major part of um, what they're hoping to push, at least with this segment of students who've been kind of lost in this pandemic uh, world for, for several years and want to get back to that in-person connection. Um, so from a marketing standpoint, I think, um, schools are going to have to prioritize a focus on, uh, on how they are offering something, um, virtually that is just as robust as what students would find in person. Um, and then perhaps look at other ways to market, um, how, uh, In addition to that robust education, they're getting other benefits like flexibility, like work-life balance, like managing um, family commitments, things like that. So interesting from a marketing perspective.
0: Absolutely. And with that age bracket, you can almost anticipate a little dip in graduate professional school enrollment as people get to the 25-year-old range and they say, I wasn't satisfied with my online education, so I choose not to do that again. As a graduate student, uh, or the marketing and student um, meeting the students where they are may call for improvements that genuinely go forward in the marketing materials and maybe bring those folks back into a higher quality experience, but the marketing challenge will be significant. Well, let's wrap up there. We've had a, a pretty thorough conversation, and I've really enjoyed hearing about these uh, articles and and uh, especially your perspectives on them. So thank you very much.
2: Thank you for for having me.
3: Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much.